Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Wednesday edition, the second show of 2021 of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein, but you can call me Dan. Most people call me Dan. I am joined today by Manisha Sammy. Don't abbreviate her name. She's just Manisha and Simon Erickson. Welcome to the program. Simon, did you stay up all night watching uh, cable news like I did? I sure did not, Dan, but I'm <laughs> ready for this morning, I suppose. <laughs> Manisha Sammy, were you glued to the uh, the elections? Just all the, I, I don't know, you put Steve Kornacki on, I'm going to watch. No, I can't say I did. Uh, I was too busy cooking dinner and just living my normal life. <laughs> it was a very strange night and we're going to address it. So here's the challenge. We're going to talk about politics through the lens of the market. We're going to try to not be political. Sometimes that's a little bit impossible, but the goal here, and I'm stating it so I don't get like whammed on Twitter. The goal here is to keep this about implications for the market because FinTwit, uh, all the Facebook groups I'm part of on investing were basically full of, let's call them wild conspiracy theories on what happens based on the Georgia election. So let me set the table a little bit. What happened last night is there were two runoff elections in, in Georgia to, to decide the two remaining Senate seats. Going into the election, Republicans held a 50 to 48 advantage. If Democrats capture the two seats, they tie it up, but they have a majority because Kamala Harris will cast the deciding vote in the case of a tie. So, for example, that would mean they will elect the next uh, you know, um, majority leader. So here's what's happened so far. Of the two races in Georgia, one of them has been called. Raphael Warnock has, has beaten Kelly Leffler. Uh, that's been widely called by the, new, the news media. The second race, uh, Ostroff Purdue, Ostroff, who's also a Democrat, was leading by about 17,000 votes last we looked at, last I looked. And there are about 95,000 votes left. But most of those votes were in Atlanta in places that lean Democratic. It gets complicated. There's 17,000 military votes. There's 8,000 provisional ballots. Military will lean Republican. Provisional ballots will be overwhelmingly Democratic. Um, again, repeating a lot of what Steve Kornacki said on MSNBC. But it looks very likely that we're heading into a 50-50 Senate uh, with with Democrats sort of controlling things. And there was a lot of talk on social media. Oh my God, the market's going to tank. Should I buy solar stocks? And before I key this to Simon, let me just say this. 50-50 is not some sort of overwhelming majority. So it's not like Democrats are going to be able to pass, you know, universal health care or major tax things, because here's the reality. There's always going to be a few people who, for political reasons in their state, maybe ones they truly believe in, maybe ones they, they, they just use to keep you know, getting reelected, they're going to not support sort of, let's call it radical, I hate that word, but wide sweeping legislation. So Simon, I know you're not as into politics as I am. And frankly, I don't want to be into politics. I'm looking forward to what I could not think about politics. Uh, but what's your take on this? Sure, Dan. Who oh boy, here we go. Political discussion, right? We love <laughs> if you want to talk about politics, we'd be glad to help you out. The exit is right over there, right? Uh, you know, this is one of those topics that, you know, it, it's grabbing a lot of headlines. I don't think long-term investors are really going to care about this Georgia runoff 10 years from now, but there are some implications that we probably should be paying attention to, um, both in the short term and maybe in the middle term. We can talk about you know, healthcare. Uh, we can talk about big tech. There are some things that I think should be on our radar uh, that could have some interesting takes for investors. Yeah, and I'll share, Simon, something with you that uh, Max Chasco, our, our colleague, shared. And he said the big change is that uh, Mitch McConnell, the current majority leader, 
didn't bring things to vote, oftentimes things that his party likely would have supported, you're going to see a lot more votes. The results of those votes are uh, very much up in the air. So let's talk about the big tech implications. I think there's, there's interest on both sides to regulate, specifically Facebook, but Facebook, Google, Apple, to look at those with more scrutiny. Do you think there's a likelihood that's going to happen, uh, assuming we do end up 50-50, which looks very likely right now? I agree with you that this is being framed as a partisan issue, but it's really got bipartisan support for data privacy. We've seen this come up year after year after year. Nothing yet has impacted Facebook's operations in a meaningful way. Uh, we talked just a little bit of while, a little while ago about big tech companies and the preference that they were having for their own apps being pre-installed into devices, right? Google was putting its own apps onto Android devices. People were using those and then they collected all the data that they had as a competitive advantage. So something like and, that. And, and, and everyone, everyone does that. You know, that's been an right. issue with Microsoft going back 20 years where various countries have sort of pushed back on that. Sure. And regulators from the other perspective were trying to police, in Europe at least, um, what could or couldn't be shown on the platform. In the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, it's been basically the ball is in Facebook's court to self-police itself, to put its own policies in place on what, what could or could not be shown. There's some interesting legislation potentially in Europe that they would want to police and monitor that from a central authority. That could be very interesting. But Dan, I think my overall takeaway on this is if it comes to social media sites themselves, Facebook is still going to be the largest player in the game. And they're going to adapt no matter what the regulators set the bar to be. The interesting thing to me is going to be, does all of digital advertising continue to go to both Facebook and Google going forward? Or are we going to start seeing new things like programmatic advertising on connected televisions, other channels that are outside of these social networks uh, and the search engine optimization uh, platforms? It, that could be where things really get interesting. And that's something outside of the realm of social media. Yeah, I, I actually think we're already seeing a meaningful amount of programmatic programmatic advertising going to Roku. Uh, I just got a TiVo. I mean, I've had the $50 TiVo, but I got the like $300 TiVo. That, and there's a lot of different uh, options there where they're serving advertising. TiVo Plus, which is a lot like the, the Roku channel. There's Pluto TV. There's all sorts of other places that are advertising supported. I do think Facebook is vital for small businesses. I don't think it's actually going to hurt Facebook if they're forced to, say, sell off WhatsApp or even Instagram. Um, and that actually could be good for shareholders. It could invite uh, some, you know, some, it could unlock some, some value. We would love your comments. This is, of course, an interactive show. So wherever you're watching 7investing now, in theory, if you share a comment, we will get to see that comment. Manisha, you cover the biotech space. Is this is there any chance that a 50-50 Senate sort of speeds up the pace of, of biotech innovation, takes away some of the barriers? So I think short term, what people are probably thinking about um, is drug pricing. So a knee-jerk reaction um, that could happen is, you know, now that uh, the Senate is being led by Democrats is, well, now there's going to be more drug pricing reform. Um, there might be issues surrounding that. But I don't hold the same view. Um, if you look back at uh, what Biden has done when he was uh, the former vice president, um, he created the cancer, uh, it was the Biden Cancer Initiative and the Bo Biden uh, Cancer Moonshot. So I like to look at it as there might be more research funding going into cancer care. So that should spur more innovation. Uh, in terms of new bills passed, um, we haven't had uh, a Democratic Senate 
and uh, a president who is a Democrat since 2010. Um, that was when the American, uh, sorry, the ACA was first uh, established. So I think um, the Affordable Care Act might become uh, even more um, elaborate uh, in the years to come. Um, so, I mean, we'll see that uh, becoming an important uh, area that we'll see some changes in. Um, but overall, I think this is great. Um, either way, whether it was Republican Senate or um, a Democratic Senate, um, I think the area that I look at in terms of biotech, where we're looking at novel modalities of treating rare cancers, um, it doesn't really matter which political party is in power. If it works, the evidence speaks for itself, and I think that will continue. Um, so I don't think it makes a huge difference. It's really tech-based. So if the technology is advancing, uh, healthcare and biotech innovation will continue to advance, in my opinion. Thank you, Manisha. Nothing I can add there, but I'm just going to throw out, and Simon, feel free to weigh in on this one. A lot of people look to any big news and try to find the stock market play. The one I got, a lot of people have asked me this on Twitter. Biden's in and he's going to control the you know Congress. Is he going to legalize marijuana? Biden has shown no signs that he wants to legalize marijuana. And here's the reality. A 50-50 Senate is not going to legalize marijuana. What you might see is banking regulations change. There have been bills in Congress where it would allow legal cannabis companies, meaning you're operating in a state with medical or recreational licensing, where you'd be able to use a bank and have some of those protections. So that's actually tangentially good for the industry in that it, it means they don't have to keep big bags of cash, which is, you know, keeping big bags of cash is inherently dangerous. There's a lot of Brinks truck expense. There's a lot going on. You know, even if you walk into a, you know, a cannabis dispensary, in many cases, you have to pay cash and there's ATMs and there's fees and it's a hassle. So you're going to see some benefits like that. The other one I see thrown out there a lot is solar stocks. And just because there might be more attraction to solar, it's a lot like cannabis. It's very hard to make money producing solar panels. It's somewhat of a commodity. Now, does that mean that Tesla or somebody that's massively ahead in terms of innovation may not succeed and a, and a better regulatory climate may not make it easier for them? Sure, but that was kind of happening anyway. So I'd be really wary of ever pinging, hey, this one thing happened. Where am I going to put my money for five to 10 years? Simon, I'll give you the last word on that. I agree, Dan. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if the pot industry, uh, you know, continues to stay uh, on fire or goes up in smoke, whether solar companies continue to look so bright as they have in recent years. Insert your pun here. I'm trying my best. It's early. I haven't caffeinated yet. But I mean, like, we'll be. <laughs> We'll be doing our next live show from Denver, Colorado. No, that's, that is not true. I think stock the market uh, investor, the, not stand up comedian, everyone putting the disclaimer out there. But you know, I, I mean, I, like, how about G, G, GDPR, right? Uh, how often are we talking about GDPR a couple of years ago when we thought this was the biggest news headline everywhere? And who's talking about it now? It's a little button you have to click on websites that says, I accept for my data to be tracked and you're tracking cookies. I mean, this is a non-issue that there was something that was all over the headlines just a couple of years ago. And we've seen the impact of that and companies adapt to that. And they say, okay, here's the new bar. You've got some overhead costs to control stuff like that. I think that in banking, I think that in solar industry, I think in whatever the industry is, whether it's positive or negative from having more Democrats uh, in the Senate, I, I think that really for investors, this is something we should not overly focus on. Simon, I would say tracking cookies are the worst type of cookies. And then I remembered oatmeal raisin. I would argue oatmeal raisin <laughs> is worse. Nobody wants oatmeal and a raisin in a cookie. We're going to take some of your comments. Uh, Alex Abramson says, uh, what about renewable yields companies like clean energy, Brookfield Renewable? 
in my opinion, I don't think anything changes for those companies. It's going to be slightly better regulatory for them. But Biden is not going to come out and say we're getting rid of coal in three years. He understands the political ramifications that we have a lot of economy based on oil, based on coal, based on natural gas. So are we going to shy away from these things and have a 20-year plan that's going to be more codified under Biden? I think that's likely, but it's not going to be like, you know, there's some aggressive goal, like let's get rid of all, you know, internal combustion engine vehicles in three years. Simon, you're nodding your head. I'll give you some say here. This is my background, so I have to chime in with something at least a little bit that, you know, the tax credits at a federal level, the investment tax credit, the production tax credit, those sparked the development of renewables, right? And then you hand it off to the states because energy policy is a state-based policy. And they said, okay, we're going to have X percent of our energy that's that's developed coming from solar panels. Um, California has really been leading the way where they say new commercial buildings have to have solar panels on top of them. So stuff like that does have ramifications for it. Um, maybe we're giving too much credit to the the federal government uh, when really a lot more of that is state-based. But I do think that these are interesting companies that are worthy of our investing attention. John Hins, I see your comment. Uh, he basically commented that, wow, Manisha's stock pick for January is up 20% in a couple of days. I just want to point that out because that's not how we're making picks. We're not like, we've had a lot of accelerated, like I, I had a pick a few months ago, my, my first pick that I, I laid out my thesis and I said, this is what's going to happen over a few years. And it all happened in like two weeks. <laughs> so, so you're going to see some sort of market frothiness, some volatility, some things go up very, very quickly and then maybe correct. And remember, if a stock goes up 80% and then it goes down 30%, you're still doing great. So I think that's really important as you look at some, especially in biotech. I'm going to throw out one more to Manisha. Uh, Nerman asks, do you think telemedicine stocks get a boost in the Biden regime? Um, I can't imagine why, but Manisha, feel free to weigh in. I think telemedicine will just receive a boost regardless of which political party is in charge. Um, you know, because of the uh, pandemic, we've seen uh, a lot of traction in telemedicine. Um, I've used, uh, for example, Teladoc uh, on a number of occasions when I couldn't go in and see uh, the doctors. Um, you know, when I broke my wrist, for example, my first therapy session was through uh, a Zoom call. So I think it's more of, you know, I think telemedicine as a whole, now that people are more comfortable with it, um, they don't feel like they need to have, you know, a face-to-face visit with the doctor. People are more comfortable just talking to people, um, you know, via Zoom. So regardless of whether it's Biden or, um, you know, if it was still Trump, I think telemedicine as a whole is primed to grow and accelerate, uh, just given how, um, or the penetration adoption uh, inflection we've seen uh, because of the pandemic. Yeah, telemedicine is absolutely great and it keeps getting better. I recently had a medical issue and I handled it over telemedicine and it involved some some record keeping. It involved going to take an actual real world test, but I didn't have to go to a doctor's office. And that was just convenient. We're, we're busy to have to go sit in a doctor's office isn't easy. But we're doing two topics as the, uh, the big story today. And Simon, I can proudly say we got through the politics without me getting fired. So That's am, right. We're I, still here, Dan. We're still standing. Not many bad comments either. Simon, you're the CEO. Hard for you to get fired. It's uh, it's you know, it is your company. It is very easy. Uh, no, I, I was never worried about that, but it's still a difficult topic. But something else kind of huge happened, kind of under the radar. Amazon is buying Boeing jets from Delta and WestJet uh, as aircraft pr- prices are falling. So this is basically Amazon adding 11 used. 
Boeing 767s to its fleet. It's previously been leasing jets. So this is a bit of a step. But Simon, this means quite a bit, right, in terms of kind of bad news for Boeing, kind of bad news for, for the U.S. Postal Service, kind of bad news for UPS, and uh, makes FedEx look really smart from backing away from Amazon. Sorry, I said a lot there, but you're up. No, it's 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 perfectly uh, setting the table for what's going on. Amazon has disrupted this entire industry with, with everything that it's done, right? So Amazon Prime, we want two-day shipping, and we want it for free. And by the way, two-day shipping used to be one of the most profitable lines of FedEx. And FedEx said, you know, hey, we're going to break up Amazon. This isn't going to work anymore. Uh, we can't just be losing money on, on all of these. It's like the SNL skit, right? We were losing money on every order, but we make it up in volume. <laughs> was not a profitable business for them. And, and this has been a good move for FedEx because by distancing itself from Amazon, FedEx essentially said, hey, everybody else, we can be your partner and nothing, none of your data is going to go to Amazon. So in some ways, being the un-Amazon is a good marketing position. But the U.S. Postal Service and UPS have built their business around Amazon, and not intentionally, but that's what's happened. And Amazon clearly looks like it wants to take as much of this in-house as possible. Consolidate, get, get the cost and get the shipping and make the money off of the Amazon Prime subscriptions rather than the per-order deliveries. So if you get enough volume like Amazon has proven that it can do, then yes, this makes a lot of sense and it's changing things for a lot of other people. Uh, the other company you mentioned, Dan, if you don't mind me commenting on it too, is Boeing. I think that Boeing is in a very difficult position from this right now, not only because it's trying to get 737 Max's planes, which are already uh, in finished inventory, finished goods in inventory, sitting there waiting for a buyer. But now you've got reduced prices uh, for the used planes that are going out there in the aftermarket. So I, I, I personally think that the combination of these makes it a lot harder, not only for the uh, you know the logistic providers like the FedExes of the world, but I think Boeing's probably one of the big losers from this as well. We are getting closer and closer to an affordable 7 Investing 737, which, of course, will be the 737 Max with two X's uh, in honor of our colleague, Max Chesko. (laughs) Manisha, Amazon has moved into the prescription drug business. They opened up their own pharmacy. You can get your prescription filled by Amazon, but it still takes a couple days. Does increasing its plane force, and I know this is purely theoretical because we we haven't figured out how many planes to cover the country, but is this a step towards making that business more viable? I definitely do think so. Um, Right now, you know, just to be perfectly frank, if I were to see a doctor and they prescribe me medication, I am not going to go through Amazon because I don't want to wait two days to take a prescription. But for people who are chronically taking uh, prescription drugs, so maybe diabetic patients or, um, you know, people who are um, who have uh, or who are taking statins, for example, they might opt for that. I think uh, with so by and large, I consider Amazon a logistics company. So that's a step closer to solving that issue in terms of how do we get patients uh, their prescriptions faster. So I think this could help. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe it's a day faster. It's still not. I'll get my prescription in two hours. Uh, so we'll see how that pans out. But I think it, it could help. So let's throw out something ridiculous here. We always talk about, you know, who's Amazon going to buy? Walgreens has been maybe not as successful as CVS. Is it possible that we see Amazon buy some sort of brick and mortar presence? Or I don't see them adding pharmacy counters to Whole Foods, but their new grocery stores could have pharmacy counters where the idea is you get your first prescription filled at the counter and then it all becomes automatic. Uh, It seems like there's a play here. I know I'm throwing this out of nowhere. I'll let Simon go first. Do you think there's any possibility Amazon makes a big brick and mortar play in the pharmacy space? 
Uh, it's interesting, Dan, because so much of this is tied up in the data, right, which has been traditionally served by uh, pharmacy benefits managers, which is Caremark, you know, integrated with CVS Pharmacy. Um, you know, we saw Catamaran uh, team up with United Health. I don't remember if, if Express Scripts is working uh, directly with with Walgreens to, to the point of your question, but it's kind of, you know, who are the patients and what are the drugs that would fill out based on the plans that they have? So there's kind of a traffic cop in the middle of all of this that, that Amazon wants to become of knowing more about consumers that are buying these, these scripts, but then also the, the patients, right? The medical side of this as well. And so it's, it's been an, an interesting journey for them. Um, we've seen kind of the joint venture that they had with, uh, with, you know, with Amazon and Berkshire and JP Morgan kind of, kind of falling apart now that a lot of this is very difficult to vertically integrate, to scale across organizations. It's still a very company-specific, plan-specific thing. And I think that Amazon's got great ambitions, but it's probably going to take them a little bit more time. They might go back to the drawing board and figure out something that would be a, a better plan of action. And Amazon wants to know your health information so they could sell you more stuff. Like, you know, hey, we, we see you're, you're, you know, you're diabetic. Do you want an Apple Watch so you can track, uh, you know, by, I don't know what you track, but track, track the various levels you need to track. Obviously, we've seen a lot with, uh, you know, ability to track blood oxygen levels and heart rate and things like that. The more they know about you, the more they can push towards you. Manisha, I'll give you the last word. Do you think Amazon makes a major brick and mortar play uh, in the pharmacy space? I think it's possible if they're going to be successful. I don't know. I think it's going to be trial and error. Um, but given what Amazon has been trying to do and, and how much, I mean, they've succeeded in really expanding their business, um, I can see them trying. Um, I will say I'm more afraid of Amazon than I am of Facebook in terms of gathering my data. I don't know if I trust Amazon with my healthcare information. I super trust Amazon because they're always telling me helpful things to purchase. Who I, where I don't trust them is with books. Amazon, you've been in the book business longer than anything else. If I've read eight books in a series, when the ninth book comes out, how about you recommend that book to me? And it does not do that. They have a terrible book recommendation. Uh, you know, I, I literally had a friend of mine, a, a mutual friend of ours, share a, a joking image of a book on Facebook. And that book showed up in my Amazon feed, not books based on all of the information I give them. We're about to head to what we're watching. We thank you for watching 7investing now. We appreciate the comments. We'd love more of your questions, more of your comments. They can be a little bit off topic. Uh, we won't necessarily get to all of them, but we will try. Simon, before we do what we're watching, and we're going to talk about the uh, new strain of coronavirus. We're going to talk about vaccines. We're going to take a look at the market. We got a lot going on. It's only a few days removed from the first of the month, where, as everyone knows, that's when we release our seven best stock ideas for the month. We each pitch one. Uh, we have to defend it to the group in a video call that's actually going to get released on Friday to members. Uh, we write it up. But what else do you get besides seven great stock picks each month when you join 7investing? Yeah, great question. So like you said, we do release seven ideas at the beginning of the month, but then we follow up on them throughout the month as well. We have a subscriber call a couple of weeks later where you can actually ask questions directly to us as advisors, or you can bounce questions back and forth with other subscribers. Uh, we think that that's really neat, too, to be able to continue the conversation about the companies rather than just reading the upfront report. And uh, one of my favorite parts, Dan, is the, uh, the video calls that we record when we're pitching the companies to one another. So rather than just seeing the report, you actually get to see the back and forth and the banter and the challenging that we have of each other's stock picks. 
as a team, we have knocked down the research wall so you can actually peer into our investing process. And then finally, if you want seven investing for free, we are giving you that option uh, through our referral program where every single person that you sign up for seven investing, and this is available for all of our subscribers, uh, but anybody that you sign up, they get $10 off their first order and you get one free month. And so we keep pointing out, we've got some people that have more than three years of seven investing lined up now that they don't have to pay anything until 2024 uh, because they've been telling their friends and family that they love our service. And we're very thankful for that as well. We appreciate so much that so many members, I mean, that, that's been a giant source of growth for us. And that's really exciting because that's someone saying, I value and like your product enough to tell my friends. There are very few products that I like enough to tell my friends. So if you want to become a member, go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Max Lucas, David Nagoyan, I see your questions. We will get to them later in the show, but let's hit what we're watching first. Manisha, Good news. Well, not really. There is a new strain of coronavirus, um, and we're having some trouble getting vaccines out. Let's start with the new strain of coronavirus. What's different? Is it does it have a mustache? Is it wearing a hat? Like, does it cause you to you know break out in feathers? Like, what what is different about this new strain? Yeah. So uh, I won't call it the UK strain because that's what people have been calling this new uh, new strain of COVID nineteen. Uh, it's actually things like B.1.1.7. So I'll just call it B117. And the key difference is that it's more transmissible um, in children. So with the SARS-CoV-2 strain, um, the first one that we've uh, seen, um, children have largely been protected against um, uh, tran or, uh, you know, getting that strain of coronavirus. So this one more readily transmissible. Um, and the fear here is that if enough adults don't get vaccinated soon enough, then you have children who are readily passing along the new strain of COVID-19, um, which means, you know, a lot of times you can't control if children wash their hands or not. Uh, you know, they like to go and play. So even if they are, um, if their symptoms are subdued, they can easily pass it along to uh, an adult, their grandparents, who may not have been vaccinated yet, and that could cause an issue. Uh, so one of the other thinking, and a lot of people have been afraid uh, about this, is so we have our vaccines, they're being distributed. Um, the fear is, well, is this new strain? Are we protected against the new strain? So Moderna's uh, CEO was a part of uh, a conference yesterday at Goldman Sachs, um, and Right now, he believes that Moderna's vaccine will protect individuals with the new mutated strain of coronavirus, which is great. Um, however, uh, <laughs> you don't know if it's true um, for the next, you know, in a year or two, um, they might, that might not be the case. Um, so this might be, so coronavirus might uh, really enter the endemic market, uh, kind of like the flu, where each year you might have to get another vaccine to make sure that when new mutations arise, you need a new vaccine. So here's the second problem. There's about 20 million doses of vaccines available in the U.S., and only about 5 million have been handed out. Some people blame the federal government. Some blame local governments. I think it's kind of a mess of both. And I sort of feel like here in Florida, we had a system that originally you had to call and make an appointment if you were an eligible senior. And then they moved to one where you send an email. I feel like in about three hours, our web team could have set up a sign-up system. There's off-the-shelf sign-up systems that can absolutely handle this. This, right. it, this feels to me like more a failing of 
government not understanding technology. But Manisha, do you think we could ramp this up? I, I'd like a damn vaccine. Like, you know, I, I'd like to go on vacation at some point. You know, I think this is a learning experience. Um, again, uh, so my source for this is a late night show. I think it was either Seth, uh, Seth Meyers or Stephen Colbert. So, so, so not a scientist. Let's let's not be clear there. Um, but just going off of you know the failure we've had in distributing vaccines, I think Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, you had to sign up for a vaccine through Facebook. Um, not everyone has Facebook. <laughs> and certainly not everyone over 65 has Facebook, and that's the group they're vaccinating at the moment. Exactly. So um, in terms of what I've read, a lot of people think that it should have been up to the federal government to design and uh, design a system um, to distribute vaccines effectively. Instead, we've left it up to states. So we're seeing a lot of variability in terms of how states are going about it. Um, actually, so it was by end of 2020, the goal was to vaccinate 20 million people. Right now, uh, the CDC is reporting that as of yesterday, uh, there's only 17 million vaccines available. We've only vaccinated less than 5 million. And part of it is people are afraid to even take the vaccine. Uh, a lot of people I've been talking to, they're, they're kind of of the uh, thinking that, okay, let me wait three to six months, see how everyone else is doing before I take it. So there's some level of fear and anxiety, um, you know, taking the vaccine. So hopefully that changes. Um, and interestingly enough, in terms of ramping up, I think, you know, we're getting a bit desperate. So Operation Warp Speed, uh, the chief of staff there, um, or the chief advisor, uh, they, they're they trying to see if they can cut the dose of Moderna's vaccine in half to double what we have available, uh, double the dose or double the number of vaccines available. Um, the, the FDA has come out and said they're not going to allow that until mm -hmm. there's until there's you know actual data on it that's what they're doing in england they're, they're not having it they're giving you one shot and pushing mm -hmm. off the second shot i think we will see from from what i'm hearing from from you and max we will see actual data back that up at mm -hmm. which point that use might get emergency fda approval but i do feel like this isn't going to ramp up until we have the ability for uh Publix and cvs and walgreens and i mentioned Publix because they have a deal in place here in Florida uh, to vaccinate certain seniors. I think until those large-scale operations become involved, CVS is really good at getting stuff done quickly. Like They, they, they know that operation. I mm -hmm. feel like we'll get there, but it is frustrating. Manisha, any last thoughts on this one? No, I'm waiting for a vaccine as well. Um, you know, I'm glad that, uh, for what it's worth, I am still very excited at how quickly we're able to have an effective vaccine ready. Um, we're making history. So, you know, we don't have distribution down yet. Um, I hope this is just a learning experience. And next time there is a pandemic, because there will be, it's just the way biology works that we'll be ready. Oh, I don't want to think about the next <laughs> pandemic until I've had like at least a couple of weeks in a casino, maybe a, a few days on an island somewhere, you know, some time in a cruise ship, some time with all of you, frankly, that, that before we have, you know, the next pandemic, which I don't even want to think about that. But it is really encouraging. Like the one thing that I've learned in, in the past few months doing the show with, with you and Max so often is I feel really good about where science is going. Like, like I feel like, okay, stay healthy and alive for another like 10, 15 years. And then science's ability to handle problems is going to be really strong. Simon Erickson, you wanted to go in a totally different direction. Uh, I mean, I guess not a totally different direction, but just a different direction. You wanted to take a, a 10,000 square foot look at the market to sort of kick off 2021. And I am optimistic it is going to be a strange year. Simon, take it away. 
It is, Dan. I, I typically, for these uh, kind of what we're watching segments, look at something more specific, like a technology or a company. But I, I changed course this time and just said, okay, with everything going on right now, what are my opinions about investing in, in today's market? And I've jotted some of these down, so I just wanted to share them and kind of give my takeaways on them. The first is that you know we've got zero interest rate policy, which is basically going to run through probably 2023. We've got the economy that's recovering from COVID as well, and money is cheap right now. And I think that that really spurs innovation. Um, we've seen a lot of IPOs this, this past year. We've seen a lot of SPAC IPOs come to the public, uh, bringing companies public to the market uh, much more quickly now. And then on top of that, we've got kind of technological advances, right? Uh, Manisha is looking at genomic sequencing and we, Austin is looking at cloud computing. And a lot of these are just really significantly reducing the cost curve of, of these new opportunities coming that just weren't financially possible for companies to do this before. So, Simon, uh, can, I, can I jump in here? Because I've, yep. I've lived this. I went through the early 90s tech bu bubble, and we've talked about this before, but I worked at a company called Uproar.com, and we did online game shows. We brought Family Feud online. And we literally had rooms, like giant warehouses full of computers, a massive expense. There was a beeper system for if one of those went down, who got alerted and what happened. So just maintaining that is a cost that's gone away. You and I tomorrow could create a company and all of a sudden it could go from nobody having heard of it to 10 million users. And that's really just us spending a little bit more money. It's not a big deal. So apply that across a thousand industries. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it is so exciting to me how quickly and easily you can spin something up compared to physically needing boxes to do it. That's exactly my point. Very well said, Dan, that I think the pace of disruptive innovation is very fast right now. And then on the other hand, we've got some big challenges, right? We've still got travel restrictions, which are making it really hard for companies to close large enterprise sales deals. Um, a lot of small businesses, which are really the life force of our economy, and definitely for employment of the United States, are still depending on stimulus checks just to make their ends meet. And so it's been interesting for me to see um, value investors and a lot of people that are managing clients' money just kind of being furious and pounding the table and saying, how can there be such a disconnect between this fragile economy that America's got and these valuations of, the, of these tech stocks out there? You know that they're screaming. They're saying, "Hey, this is out of the norm of what we've seen in terms of historical models, in terms of you know the average price to earnings ratio of the market as a whole." Uh, they're calling for bubbles to pop in the market right now, and I, I think that this is what's interesting to me is that this is this is meant to be different this time. You know, we can't say, "Oh, it's going to be just like everything else is a reversion to the mean." We're we're overvalued. This is outside of the historical norms because I can't remember ever there being a time where we had zero percent interest rates at the same time that we have accelerated technological disruption, a new way of bringing companies public, Bitcoin shooting through the moon, and a global <laughs> pandemic all kind of happening at the exact same time. And so, I guess this is my long soliloquy, um, my monologue. I'll wrap up here by saying I think that 2021 and 2022 are going to be a stock picker's market. I think that you can't just throw darts anymore with zero interest rates that makes money super free, super cheap. And um, all the M&A that we've seen and all the new IPOs that we've seen and all the innovation that we've seen, it's been great, but it's been easy to find companies um, this through this bull market. We've, we've been almost a 12-year bull market now. And other than a couple of hiccups here and there, this has been a fantastic ride. And I think that it reinforces the importance of being thorough analysts and doing our homework, because I think that we are going to see some of those companies that took the cheap money, that took the stimulus checks, that didn't have 
their business models figured out or the larger companies too that really you know were bloated and, and needed to trim some of the fat around their operations i think a lot of that is going to kind of come out into the light again in these next couple of years and i, I embrace this challenge I, I know that all of us on this seven investing team are very thorough but it's going to be an interesting year i think it's a stock pickers market for these next couple of years it comes down to really understanding the companies and we're going to take some of your questions now and i'm going to take one that's sort of related Sam Bailey, don't share this one because I'm not going to mention the specific company. I'm just going to talk about the category. Uh, ZL says, do you think companies which focus on online education will benefit from a Biden administration? I think overall, online education is going to be a growth area, but there's no reason that some of the traditional providers may not be some of the leaders. You know, So your ability to take a class at Harvard might be more valuable than your ability to take a class from some unknown provider. So there's a lot of space here, but you're really going to have to dig into the market and not just go, okay, this company's in online education. I think that's really, really important. Simon, I'll let you weigh in on this because you're nodding your head a little bit here. No, I agree uh, totally, Dan. It, it's you can't just make assumptions that every company is equal, that every business model and every visionary leader is equal. I mean, you got to get into details of stuff like that. I, I totally agree with you. And then, Manisha, I'm going to start with you on David Nagoyan's question, but I'm going to field one first to give you a little bit of time to think about it. Uh, Alan Skoloff says, "Hey, Dan, have you seen Via C today? That is, of course, uh, CBS Corporation." So this is one where, it, yeah, it's up like 3% today. And I had to look it up. That's why you saw me moving forward to the camera. This is a company I'm not a big fan of. And I bring it up because just because I'm not a big fan, because I think there are better players in the space. I, I don't like what CBS owns. And, and I don't think it's going to work as a streaming service. I think it's you know the sixth place. That doesn't mean I don't want it to do well for you. It doesn't hurt me if their stock goes up. So I'm, I'm rooting for you, Alan. I hope this does well. I hope my thesis is wrong. I just kind of feel like the audience for CBS is missing out. I know they own some things that that others are excited about. I'm just not that excited. David Nagoyan says, which industry conferences are you most looking forward to in 2021? Let's cycle this to, to really include 2020. Whenever the conference you want to go to is next going to happen, because some of them, like CES, have already been canceled for 2021. Manisha Sammy, you can go first. All right. So the one that I'm most excited about starts next week. Uh, so this is JP Morgan's healthcare conference. This is the biggest healthcare conference of the year. And it starts off the year. It's basically a thermometer check of what are we focusing in on in biotech and life sciences for the year? What are we looking forward to? Um, a lot of mergers and acquisitions happen during this time, uh, potential partnerships and collaborations. It's really exciting. It's my favorite, and it also gives me the biggest headache of the year um, because it's basically every any healthcare biotech company, everyone's presenting. And so you'll have, well, usually it's just five tracks. Uh, this year it's virtual, so there are nine tracks at once going on. And it's like, okay, which one am I going to? Which panels am I uh, listening in on? So it's just, you know, basically you have just a bunch of information being shot at you um, and then you'll be up all night trying to figure out, okay, what was the most important takeaway? Um, so it's basically drinking from a fire hose. Uh, and but and we're gonna have a we're gonna have a lot of content. Sorry to cut you off there, Manisha. We're gonna have a lot of content about that show. We're gonna have Manisha on, we're gonna have Max on. It's gonna be their job to take that fire hose and go, what are the five or six most important stories? What are the things that are developing out of it? Simon Erickson, where, what are you excited about? I, I am so excited to go to conferences, but I'll wait in a second. <laughs> 
I, I think I'm excited to travel with you to those conferences, Dan. I mean, let's go out and, you know, start shaking some hands and watch some sessions again. Uh, I, I Probably my favorite is always South by Southwest, but there's a bit of bias on that, that I went to UT Austin. So I would attend in some capacity as a student more than 20 years ago. Um, that was a little different experience than being a professional investor now, but, you know, it was still close to home for me. Um, I think that, that uh, on a, per minute basis. That's probably one that's so densely packed, I get the most out of it. So I go to three shows in Vegas, uh, usually with Matt Frankel. One's called uh, Money 2020. One is called Grocery Shop, focuses on the grocery business. One is called Shop Talk, and it focuses on retail. They're all run by the same people. And I like these three shows because they're relatively small. There's not a ton of media at them. So the keynotes are always major, major people, as are most of the speakers. But if I actually want to talk to like, you know, the vice president of Target in charge of, uh, you know, online grocery ordering, that person's going to be available to me. So it's going to be awesome content for the seven investing audience. It's also just small enough where you could really see what's happening. A grocery shop was where I first saw that there's easy technology for any grocery chain to set up uh, humanless order picking, where basically if it took 20 people to do it, now you just need one to oversee. And it's not that expensive. That's also where I saw all sorts of white label technology, like programs that you can use your phone for tailoring, uh, you know, which are not perfect yet, but that's going to be really important in the future of buying clothes is taking measurements and doing it with, you know, without naked pictures of you ending up on the internet. I know I had pants made and you had to send them pictures of like yourself spinning in your underwear and they assure you that's not going anywhere, but that'd be a really funny website. (laughs) So don't do that. That is a privacy (laughs) violation. So I am so excited for all of those shows when they happen, whether it be the 2020 version or the 2021 version. I can say, Manisha, I'm not at all excited about any of these virtual shows. I've largely tuned them out, and I I appreciate you doing the work for the Seven Investing audience. Uh, We're going to hit the home stretch in a second, but before we do that, we're going to take one more comment from Max Lucas. Uh, Could we finally see an infrastructure plan passed? I, I think so, but Simon, your thoughts here. Um, yeah, this is outside of my circle of competence. I think. I mean, we have seen oh, some, some. We I'll, have I'll, seen some, some some policies that have been discussed. I don't think I have an opinion on whether or not they actually get passed. So I'll, I'll jump in and I'll say it's really easy to sell infrastructure as stimulus. It's harder to sell like, hey, you're going to get checks for nothing. If you say, hey, we're going to fix two bridges in every state. We're going to spend significant money upgrading highways, and that's going to benefit uh, you know, delivery. Those are jobs. Those are real jobs, it's, it, but it's also a tangible benefit. So I do think, assuming we end up with the 50-50 Senate, the slight Democratic lead, there's going to be Republicans who sign off on that, especially as you dole out that money across districts. And obviously, there's a lot of politics in play, but I, I think we need it. I think if you've seen some of the roads and bridges, uh, we absolutely need it. Uh, and I do think it's likely for the home stretch and uh, we are heading towards the end of this marathon show and rob t you can ask questions about whatever you want we will try to answer them uh and hello to your dad mr t uh no that is that is absolutely <laughs> me being me being silly uh our jokes get worse the longer the show goes right <laughs> <laughs> what stock did you get wrong and what did you learn from it uh simon you're first on the list here so i'll let you go first I'll go with FireEye for mine. This is a ticker F-E-Y-E. This is a cybersecurity vendor, cloud-based. I thought back in 2016, it was a growth company. I thought they were really innovative and doing some really cool stuff. Uh, Turns out that unbeknownst to me as an investor, they were really trying to uh, 
find a suitor for an acquisition. So they really were managing things like cash flows rather than investing it back in growing the opportunity. Uh, that came back to, to bite them as their competitors lapped them in, in innovation. And so they lost a lot of customers. Retention fell and the stock's basically gone nowhere in five years. Uh, well, the rest of their competitors in cybersecurity have, have, have shot uh, significantly higher. And Simon, what's the lesson you take away from that? Yeah, I mean, like this is one about leadership, right? Like you can look at something and read about it in the headlines and say, oh, wow, cloud-based cybersecurity protection. That sounds really innovative. That sounds really neat. It's a technology that's needed out there. But then you actually see how that company is being managed and it's prioritizing free cash flow generation, which might look more interesting to a acquiring uh, a company than, than actually putting that back into R&D and hiring the best you know, data scientists and best cybersecurity uh, researchers out there. I, I think that you've really got to see how companies are allocating and get into the nitty gritty of what their strategy is. Watching a company run out of money is unbelievably painful. Working at one, which which I did in the 90s, is even, even worse. Manisha, you wanted to talk about Onvo, a company I've never heard of. So why, why don't you fill us in on what it does and uh, why it went wrong? Sure. So Organovo uh, is a, so it's a 3D modeling of organs. Uh, so it's, you know, cellularized. And uh, it was at the brink of being delisted. Um, so I followed that company for a number of years. Uh, so they had two platforms. One was 3D modeling of organ systems and doing drug testing. Uh, so rather than using animal models, for example, uh, and then they branched off to, they had a therapeutic uh, side where they were doing uh, liver tissue. So 3D printing liver tissues. So people who need transplant, it was almost kind of a bridge before they need it. So you implant that in a patient, theoretically, um, and they have a working liver until they can get a transplant. So one of the things I learned there is um, sometimes you can't see what's behind the curtain. So there was a lot of uh, politics uh, on the management team. Um, the founder of the technology uh, left, started its own company, replaced by a new CEO. So turns out um, they had, well, the original founder wanted to come back and, you know, change the vision of the company, a lot of back and forth. Um, and they completely nixed the therapeutic side of the business. Uh, at one point, they were trading below a dollar uh, for months. So at the brink of delisting, um, they're back on track now. Um, this is as of September 2020, so very recently. Uh, so they're no longer getting uh, delisted. But it was it was a rocky ride. Um, I was holding my breath the entire time. So, you know, I didn't know about kind of the politics behind the curtain. But also, you know, I I don't like investing in binary companies. For me, I thought, OK, they have two different platforms, multiple shots on goal. But really, as soon as they nixed the therapeutic platform out of nowhere, it was just, oh, wow, this is in some ways a binary company. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to throw one out here, and I need to be really, really careful. So mine is JCPenney, but it's not recent JCPenney. It's not they're a bankrupt company. Should I buy shares? It's not that. JCPenney, and I'm going to get the time wrong, but four or five years ago, and th this is my worst. I, I didn't own it, but I was pretty vocal about that I thought – Marvin Ellison, who is now the CEO of Lowe's, had good ideas and that he would be able to turn this around. He articulated you know, that we're going to pivot to what Sears is doing in markets that they're leaving. We're going to add uh, selling appliances, which is needed. We're going to add home services. We're going to revamp uh, our women's merchandise, and we're going to have partnerships with celebrities that are going to drive that. It all sounded great, and it's all worked to a different extent elsewhere. What I didn't really understand is that JCPenney was already dead. 
that they'd already, Ron Johnson had basically gotten rid of the customers and it was going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to win them back. So just because you have a good plan doesn't mean that plan will be executed. Now, that being said, if there was another company that was in trouble and had a CEO that had a really good plan, I could fall for this one again because there's no way to know if a plan is going to work. So you have to understand that, that just having the blueprint and this blueprint has kind of worked at Kohl's, like it's wor- it worked at Best Buy. It didn't work at JCPenney because of what happened before. This brings us right to the end of the show where we hit our finisher. But before we do that, Manisha, there's a question here from Rob T. I think you can answer this one. If you can't, I apologize. Uh, cool. I'm really interested in what Twist is doing using DNA for data storage. What does the future look like for that technology? Sorry to put you on the spot here, Manisha, but I couldn't remember if you or Max talked about this. Um, yeah, so I love the idea of DNA-based storage. Uh, Twist Biosciences uh, recently uh, announced a collaboration with Microsoft and uh, Illumina to uh, accelerate the development of DNA-based storage. So most, uh, so if you look at tech companies, most, and even healthcare, um, you know, hospitals, whatnot, most data is cold storage. So imagine if you can store data in just, you know, uh, a nanogram of DNA, so just the tiniest amount that you can't even see, um, you don't need these large uh, data centers anymore. Now, the technology is probably, you know, five to 10 years away before we can actually uh, do it with, uh, you know, good integrity, but Twist is at the forefront. Um, they've, I mean, they started back, I think, in, around in 2016. Um, they're really accelerating kind of the progress there. So basically, you're taking, you know, the base pairs of DNA, ATGC, using as code, uh, you know, binary. So an AT might be a zero, or a GC is equivalent to a one. And as uh, sequencing, uh, you know, becomes cheaper, and you're able to, um, have you know good integrity as you sequence uh, DNA and having random access memory, so to speak, uh, in terms of sequencing, you're able to read write data. Um, and you know, I think in 20 years, we'll be most data will be based uh, on DNA. So you know, technology has helped accelerate biology. I think now biology is helping technology and uh, helping it become more nimble and cheaper and more productive. A lot of outdated chubby checker jokes I could be making oh. here, but uh, Manisha, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, that is a great question from Rob, a great answer from you. Guys, it is time to hit our finisher, uh, and this is what I'm excited about. What industry disruptor are you most excited about? Uh, Rocket Mortgage, which is disrupting the mortgage industry in theory, got 8.7%. Lemonade, which is uh, in the insurance space, got 42.1%. Zillow, which is in real estate, got 11.2%. And DocuSign, uh, which is making signing documents easier, got almost 38%. I would have gone DocuSign. I, I, I can't sign my name in real life. I am thrilled when someone hands me a digital document and I can just quickly go through. We, we are in the process of selling a house. We just rented a house. We're going to buy a house after that. There is so much document signing. And the fact that mine looks like, like Shakespeare signed it when normally it looks like a drunk three-year-old signed it, I love DocuSign. Uh, Simon, I'll come to you first and then we'll go to Manisha. I know this is way outside of Manisha's space. <laughs> I agree. I go with DocuSign. I mean, most applicable everywhere and the biggest time saver of the four of those. I, I, I would go with DocuSign also. That, uh, Manisha, medical, medical consent forms makes it much easier. Th- that's true. Um, so I guess I'll go with that because I really don't have too much information on the others. The lemonade is good for insurance. Um, I know a few of my friends use lemonade, so um, 
either one. I don't really have much of an opinion here. <laughs> I, I, re I really hope Lemonade works. And I, I feel silly that I just did renter's insurance and I should have tried Lemonade. That being said, I use Geico, which is my car insurance, and it took maybe five minutes. So I'm not sure in that case that there was a lot of disruption available, but obviously there's a lot of areas insurance and it's not always easy. It's been a marathon. We started with politics. We went to Amazon. We took a ton of your questions. We want to do more of that every show. Uh, we're happy to go this long if it's because you have questions. We want to answer them. They don't have to stick to what we're talking about. If we ignore your question, it's usually because we don't know about it it's, or the right advisor maybe not here. And sometimes we actually do follow up on questions off air with one of the other people who aren't on the show. So that's not the case today. I think we hit pretty much every relevant question uh, or some version of it. So that's it. That's the end of the Wednesday edition of 7investing now. Of course you can get in touch with us on air, but you can also email us at info@7investing.com. At I say this every time, but we basically answer this in real time. Now, you might have to wait wait for Matt Cochran to get home, you might have to wait for someone to get through a meeting, but we are answering email way faster. And I hate to put that bar down, but we try to get, you know, might get thrown into our Slack. Hey, who's got an answer here? Might get emailed to the right person. You can also hit us at seven investing. That is the number seven investing on Twitter. We are very active on Twitter and we appreciate our Twitter followers have been skyrocketing, you know, growing, growing by hundreds of people a day. We appreciate that. Tell your friends, interact with us. Um, we're all on Twitter ourselves. We like to be there. It could be any one of us uh, at the seven investing account. So we really appreciate that. But uh, that's it. It's been a long show. For Simon Erickson, for Manisha Sammy, I'm Dan Klein. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you again on Friday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.